This is the Adoptive Mom Podcast. Adoption may look different for each family, but we need solidarity from other crazy people who took this leap. And that is what we do here. We encourage, we build up, we share the wins and losses. We lean on each other and we get through this together. Thanks for joining us. Hello, and welcome to the Adoptive Mom Podcast. I am your host, Alex Fitton, and I am just giddy over getting to introduce you to incredible guests that can speak hope and truth into our lives as adoptive moms and those that support us. You can find me on Facebook at Alex Fitton and the Adoptive Mom Podcast and on Instagram at the Adoptive Mom. And don't forget to check out show notes, blog posts, and lots more resources at theadoptivemompodcast.com. This is episode 13 of season five, and that brings us to episode 76 overall. We're getting closer and closer to 100, guys. That makes me so excited. Um, this episode is brought to you by Patreon supporter Gloria Verhoven. And I really hope you're, I'm saying your name right. But thank you so much, Gloria, for choosing to spend your cash money on the premium content you get through Team AMP. If you want to be super cool like Gloria and get content like multiple weekly bonus shows, Bible study guides, free gifts, and more, head to the adoptivemompodcast.com slash community to join. All right, guys, today we are going to chat with Camille Lancaster. She is a small town girl with big city dreams planted in Southern Missouri, just a stone's throw from the mighty Mississippi River. She has a great husband and six adventurous kiddos slash young adults ranging from nine to 21. Her passions and purposes in life, besides her family, are to be a speech therapist, a creative conversationalist, writer, voracious reader of good books, lover of people, and constant entrepreneur. So obviously, she is super cool. And her story is so, so cool as well. And we will jump into that in just a second. But first, I want to remind y'all that AMP has swag now. So you can get all of your Adoptive Mom t-shirts and tote bags and phone cases right now at the adoptivemompodcast.com slash shop. And as the holidays grow closer, just shoot that link to your gift-giving people as a part of your Christmas list. I have new designs out now that would look perfect under your tree. So once again, head to theadoptivemompodcast.com slash shop and check it out now. Okay, on to Camille. Welcome to the show, Miss Camille Lancaster. How are you doing today? I'm great. Thanks for having me. Glad to be here. For sure. I'm excited to get to know you better because we don't know each other at all, which is so fun. That's a, Those are almost my favorite types of interviews because I get to get to know my guests alongside all of the listeners, which is so fun. So um, on that note, can you take a second and just tell us a little bit about you and who you are and what you do and all of that fun stuff? I, by trade, I'm a speech language pathologist and have done that for several years. Um, I'm also a blogger, author, and now my husband and I just started a podcast. So I guess we're podcasters now. Um, We kind of have a fun story. We met when we were about 15, um, eloped to the courthouse at 20, and now have been married almost 28 years. And we have six kids who range in age from 23 to 10 and just live life. Okay. That is so fun. Um, so you met when you're, are you high school sweethearts? We are. Oh, you're in that rare percentage. How on we, earth did you make it work? That is awesome. <laughs> we get that question a lot. Yeah. We, we just kind of grew up together and made it work. So it, it's a fun story to tell. 
Yeah, no, I love that. I think that that's super inspirational, especially going through something as hard as adoption. Um, that, I mean, obviously that puts stress on marriage. And when you have someone that you've known for so long, that can either be to your benefit or not. And so I guess it was to your benefit, which is great. So far, so good. Yeah, it has, it's worked out just fine. I love that. Um, okay, so you mentioned you have six kids. How many of those are bio and how many are adopted? So the first five are bio. All of our kids are in birth order. Um, So we have three girls and twin boys. And then the youngest one is the one that's adopted. Okay. And I, so, you know, I said, I don't like, we don't know each other in real life, but I do know a little bit about your story and you are going to be the very first person on the adopted mom podcast with a story like yours. So with that said, can you tell us just your adoption story? How did you get into it and uh, bring us to now? Okay. Our story is really unique and, and I do recognize that. Um, so I, I understand, I, I don't want it to be frustrating for anyone because our, our story does have some some neat qualities to it that don't happen to everybody. So uh, basically years ago, and I I wish I knew when and where I was connected to this particular uh, group, but I cannot remember the details, but I love to read. And years ago, I came across a book called Saving Levi, and it was written by an American family who left the States and moved to China, kind of gave up everything and started um, an orphanage and an or kind of an orphan care program for special needs babies in China. And one of the children that they actually ended up adopting um, into their own family was a little boy named Levi, and that's what the book was about. And very interesting. Those kind of stories always catch my eye, so I really enjoyed the book. And somewhere in that time frame, I learned that you could sign up for their newsletter and kind of follow their story. Now, like I said, this was probably 10 to 12 years ago. So at that time, an email newsletter looked way different than it does now. And, uh, you know, even the internet looked way different. So we decided at some point during that time to be a sponsor family. So they, they had put out a kind of a campaign to find sponsor families for their babies that were coming in. And we signed up to do that. It was $30 a month, just like so many other sponsorship programs out there and kind of thought that would be the end of it. I I hate to say that, but really that we thought we had done our part. So Um, they sent us, and again, remember this was before it was so easy to just go online and sign up. They sent us a big packet of information on the child we had chosen off of their little website. And when it arrived, I almost remember the exact day, our community had been hit with record breaking ice and we were out of power for almost two weeks. And we had our particular house had gas, heat. So we actually had some heat and some hot water. So we had about 13 people living at our house and it was just crazy. People were just sleeping on the floor. I mean, every church in town had opened up their gym and people were just, we were just in survival mode around here. So I took that packet and set it on a shelf and thought, I I will have to deal with this later. By the time I remember that it was up there, that 
particular child had been chosen by another family and we were asked to go on their website and pick a new kid to sponsor. So got on the website and they had some new babies that had come in and one in particular caught my eye. Her name was the same name as a good friend of mine and I noticed that it she was also deaf and as a speech language pathologist that that kind of tugged at my heartstrings a little bit. I had worked with some deaf children, knew a tiny bit of sign language and just thought that was really something I could um, kind of dive into. So we chose her, filled out the forms, sent our $30 a month. And again, kind of thought that was the end of it. So they sent us in return. Anytime you sponsored one of their children, they sent you a picture, um, some information. They would send a little doll that was handmade in China and kind of brought you into the fold a little bit and, and helped you feel like you're part of what they were doing. So we put her picture on the fridge and um, committed to praying for her to find her forever family and kind of started to get to know about her a little bit more. They were really great at about posting pictures of their children and giving you any updates. And some people would go over from the States and they would post pictures. So it, it was really easy to follow along with the development of the child that you had chosen to sponsor. And, and you kind of created a, um, a relationship with them online. So it was a Saturday morning, the best I remember and I had um, gotten some emails back and forth from the orphanage director, just kind of asking how she was doing and what was going on. And she very bluntly, I, I remember it so well, she very bluntly said, if you're interested in this child, would you please come and get her? And Whoa. we we really didn't discuss it more than maybe an hour or two. It felt like about five minutes is all we talked about it. And we just came to the realization and our kids were on board um, that if we were willing to pray for this child to find her forever family, then were we also willing to be that family? Um, and we felt like we we were supposed to do that. So um, it seems real spontaneous now that I look back on it, but it just felt really right. So we said yes. In a simple email, we said yes. And then that began the craziness because most people that go through adoption fill out all the paperwork on the front end, and then they meet with their adoption agency and all the different things are considered and they're matched. For us, we started backwards and worked worked towards um, all the paperwork. So we knew the kid we wanted and that we were supposed to get, but um, we our orphanage people had to scramble to find her. So I don't know all the details, but apparently in certain international adoptions, once a child's file is opened up, any number of people around the globe, not just in the United States, but in any country that has a or an adoption program can access that file and claim that child. So it took about three weeks and our adoption advocates were awesome. They, they did locate her. They only had a tiny little picture to go by. <clears throat> 
I knew I would cough. Sorry. A tiny little picture to go by and um, some sketchy dates. So because of how she became an orphan, no one was real sure of her birth date. So they didn't even have all the right information. And they described it as, think of your child sitting on a six-lane highway and somebody running out to grab her. And that's that's how it felt. So uh, they did find her. They I remember they sent me a picture and they said, is this her? And I compared it back to the one picture we had on our fridge and said, yes, that's the right kid. And so at that point, they matched us. And then we started the paperwork. Um, and anybody who's familiar with this, I know your your audience is really familiar with adoption. The paperwork is daunting, and especially when you're working backwards through your paperwork. So we did it. We had some great mentors. We um, Some of our very, very good friends had adopted from China already, and they helped us walk through that, and, and we made it. So that that's kind of how we got to her. Okay. So, I mean, I definitely want to hear the after you got to her part, but first of all, this is bonkers. Like I have never heard of like, of this whole having to go and find her thing. I mean, I'm sure this is making me sound super uneducated, but you know, international adoption was not our story. So I'm always very fascinated with the process. Um, and it's always surprisingly different for different countries and different people. And, um, so I know that there, like China has some pretty strenuous regulations. And so you guys obviously met all of those, which is a huge win. But then that go back to give me some more details on the whole having to find her thing, because that is crazy to me. Yeah. So we, we were told to use um, one particular um, organization that was really active in our state so that they could be advocates for us. Um, and they were extremely familiar with China's program. So we immediately contacted them, told them the whole story. They jumped right on board. And I, I think with, if I'm correct, at that time in China, when a child, they, their children that are eligible for adoption cycle through and they release their file, which is basically a, some documents online. They re- they open that up and then anybody in the adoption world, whether they're in the United States or in Denmark or Spain that wants to adopt a child in from China can kind of lock that file and say, we want that kid. So they were on a race against the clock to find her file because it had been recently released and lock it in for us. And at any moment in time, someone else could have grabbed her. Wow. So yeah, we were on pins and needles. I mean, it was really scary. Uh, therefore, until we knew that had happened, we really didn't tell anybody. We didn't want to get our hopes up. We, we didn't want to think it was a done deal. Yeah. And so what was the, what was the urgency for that person that reached out to you just saying, if you want her, you have to take her. Um, what was going on there? I, she had been in orphan care for years and I think she recognized it. And we have learned a lot more about this since then, but, um, just kind of globally children who are deaf are very hard to, um, 
to match with families. Um, for some reason, because of the communication barrier, a lot of families would rather have any number of disabilities than deafness. Now, that that's just kind of the morbid truth of the whole thing. Um, and so she recognized that some other families had looked at her file. She she knew that. I don't think we knew that at that time and did not go forward with it. So I think she saw that this was going to be a difficult child to place. And if she had someone interested, she was going to jump on that. So I think that was her urgency. Okay. And that makes sense. Um, and that's, I was just curious. I didn't know if something was you know, if she knew something, something was about to happen or what was going on there. Um, But okay, so walk us through, you know, you you found her, you got your paperwork in, which yes, you are correct. That is no joke. Um, Especially I imagine having to fill out like questions like, uh, what type of children are you willing to take? And you're like this one, just this one. (laughs) You're you're supposed to be filling it out for a spectrum, but no. (laughs) Um, So I remember that form. Yeah. So, okay. What happened after that? You know, did you, is, and you'll have to remind me, is China a one trip country or a two trip country? Well, thankfully it's a one trip. So we spent, um, you know, we had been told it was going to take about a year. And unfortunately, a lot of people are quick to jump to conclusions and think that all of that time is is because the country we're adopting from is dragging their feet or creating issues. And I'm always quick to say at least half that time was spent on U.S. paperwork. So it it's a long process no matter who's involved. So I don't, I don't ever want to, anybody to be blamed for it. It's just the way it is. So we got right to the paperwork, but you just really can't speed up some of these things. And um, so it took about, 12 months. And during that time, we, we had been given a um, kind of a range of what it was going to cost. So we, we knew we did not have that money set aside. So we began fundraising and spent our, our year fundraising and pushing her story out there and really um, telling other people about her orphanage, which um, that kind of led us to a whole new thing in that um, a family that lives about 30 miles from us ended up adopting a little boy from her exact same orphanage because of Lori's story. So, so that was really cool. And, um, we learned a a handful of sign, but that's part of this story. So we got all of her medical records during this year and we took it to, um, our pediatrician and our local audiologist. And they, cause we knew we were going to be up against some um, hearing loss and we weren't sure the extent of it or what had caused it or, you know, kind of what all that was going to look like. And they both felt like she was a great candidate for a cochlear implant. So wow. we naively thought that we would get her and she was going to be, she had just turned two when we got her. And we thought, we'll take her to Children's Hospital. There's a a great children's hospital near us. And we'll have the implant surgery and all will be well. And that's not how it happened either. So, um, yeah. So, we got her right after she turned two. And we brought her home. And then the fun started. Yeah. Did you and your husband both go to get her? 
We did. And we took our two oldest daughters. They were 14 and 12 at the time. I love that. And so, you know, I, I'm, I'm excited to get into, I feel like, kind of part three, you know, you have the the part before you even decide to adopt and then you have the, the, the adoption process. And then we all know there are so many people on the outside looking in that see the airport party and they're kind of like, okay, you know, we did it. Check. And we adoptive moms know that that is not the end for sure. So what what is the struggle that you guys have been through, mainly with her hearing, I know, but um, just with attachment and all of those other things after the airport? So I know I'm, I'm getting ready to tell you part of our story that's really hard and it's going to sound unbelievable, but I'm, I'm really not making this up. So she, she really and truly hated us for about six months. She w- would not let me get near her and she absolutely wouldn't let my husband Jay get near her. She bonded extremely well with our oldest daughter and really well with our second oldest, but she would let them do everything for her and us do nothing. So, I mean, she would stand across the room from us and shake her head no. And if we sat down on the couch, she would, beside her, she would get up and walk off. So, um, not only was the communication a barrier, but just the emotional side was not forming the way we thought it would. So I, emotionally, it was really, really hard, um, regardless of the disability. And luckily my oldest two daughters really stepped in and didn't mind at all to, to do those things. The oldest one potty trained her, um, they, they dressed her, they bathed her and, and, and I don't want to sound like, you know, the crazy mom that made the kids do all the work. That that was just how we survived during those first six months. Um, after about six months, she lightened up a little bit and she would start to come towards us and let us hold her and play and and do a few things. But it took a full year to feel like she was really accepting of us as adults. And the only thing we can think of is we were the ones that took her away from the only life she had ever known. And I think she blamed us and her tiny little mind. Um, and I think that's the only way she could process it. But because she had always been around children, she felt really safe with our other kids. And so we... I'm so thankful that she was number six because I I never took it personally. Um, We recognized that it was a little bit of an adoption thing, a little bit of a defiant two-year-old thing. And we just let her her warm up on her own. And we we never tried to force it. Um, And then after a year, we just kind of looked around one day and said, hey, this feels good. She likes us. There's no more issues. She enjoys being around us, lets us do everything for her. Um, You know, by that time she was starting to learn some sign and she would sign mom and dad and tell us she loved us. And, and from then on, it it felt really normal. Yeah. And I think that that's something that not just, I mean, you guys were obviously new adoptive parents, but you were seasoned parent parents. Um, And so there's a couple of different 
angles to look at there. You know, first of all, I I want to know what was that like for your oldest specifically, but mainly your oldest two daughters and your other kids? What was it like to see this child, you know, treat you guys differently than they had ever treated you or know you differently than they had ever known you and to take on such a huge responsibility? But also on the other side, that's so commendable and something that not unseasoned, non-seasoned, <laughs> uh, um, not seasoned parents would really struggle with, myself included. I think that if a child rejected me to that degree, which, and we have, we have an older adopted child who isn't a big fan of me, um, but he certainly doesn't, you know, leave the room when I come in. And that must have been really hard. So for you to handle it in the way you did, I mean, that's a big inspiration to younger adoptive moms. Yeah, I, I really think it was just a God thing. I think he showed us from day one how much grace we were going to have to have in this situation. Um, we're very blessed. Our oldest daughter is a huge type A personality. She takes charge. She and she likes that. She likes to be in charge. So it it was totally her, her choice to do that. She was thrilled to be the one. Um, she's 23 now, and they are still such good friends. Um, so it it's just kind of how how the cards fell. Um, I don't. She never complained about it. To this day, she's never complained about it. We laugh about it now. And then my second oldest daughter was fine with it as well. She, um, she's very kind and easygoing, and she didn't mind it at all. And then my the third number three is also a, a daughter. Now she was only about eight when we brought um, Lori. That's that's our daughter from China. That's her name. She was only about eight when we brought Lori home, and she did great. Um, she wasn't in a position. She wasn't nearly old enough to be any kind of a caretaker, but she played really well with her and Lori loved that. And they, they had dolls and Barbies. They shared a room and um, they would play dress up and Lori was fine with her. And then my twins are the boys and they were five and she loved them to pieces. She, she would get the star Wars toys out and, um, you know, play with them outside or, build Legos or whatever they were doing. So she was hundred percent adjusted to the children. Um, it was just to the parents that she didn't want any part of that. Man, that's really, really interesting. Um, you just don't hear that much. I mean, you hear of attachment issues, but you don't hear of such a solid bond, um, with your, you know, new siblings, um, in the well, mix with that as well. Yeah, people would joke that because we had so many children, she probably felt like she was just at another orphanage. So I know that's kind of <laughs> kind of funny, but I've, it kind of was true. It, that's that's the vibe we got from her that, hey, I just went from one orphanage to another. I don't really care about those two adults over there, so I'm just going to hang with the kids. Yeah. Um, so that's just kind of how we let it happen and, and just let her warm up on her own. And I... I do like sharing that, even though it's hard to go back and remember those days, because I I can remember watching from afar another couple that had adopted some children from China, and they had never parented before. Those were their first children, and they struggled. Um, and I knew it was because they went into it with this perfect picture of what their family was now going to look, look like. And 
didn't recognize that some of those behaviors were um, were just n- whether you birthed a child or whether you adopted a child, two year two year olds and three year olds just do their own thing, and you know I I watched them parent these newly adopted toddlers who didn't react to them very well. And and I could see the disappointment on their face. And my heart went out to them because I think that really played a part in our story is that we were seasoned parents. We had already parented five kids through the toddler years. We recognized real quick that some of this was just her defiant toddler personality. And we, we just let that be that. We knew she would move on through that as she got older. Yeah, for sure. And so, and bring us, bring us to now. Um, what is your, what is your situation with her now, you know, with her hearing, but also just with any, any attachment issues that are still lingering, you know, that just pop up occasionally or remind you of those, those early years? So now, um, well, she, she had four surgeries on her ears. She, Um, had, she did get the cochlear implant surgery. The first cochlear implant surgery failed. (laughs) So as if all the rest of her previous history wasn't enough, let's get a staph infection and have to go through more surgery. So um, that, and of course the children's hospital here said, oh my goodness, this never happens. And you're the 1%. And we were like, Hey, oh, well, and yeah, awesome. So they they took care of that and fixed it all up. And so she, now she just has one side that's implanted um, for whatever reason, and nobody knows why. She's had all sorts of tests done. They feel like from some of her early blood work, they feel like when she got here from China, she had been exposed to German measles at some point because she had something show up in her blood that they say doesn't come from a vaccination. And so we have always just assumed that either in utero or shortly after birth, before she ever came to the orphanage, she had been exposed to German measles and that's what called the, caused the deafness. She is profoundly deaf on both sides. So there's almost no natural hearing and one ear, um, one inner ear isn't even formed quite correctly. You can't tell anything on the outside, but as they looked inside, they're not even sure that that ear works on the inside. So that's our best guess is she really was born deaf. Um, So because of that, the cochlear implants give her access to sound. She can hear sounds, but she doesn't process speech very well. So for instance, she can hear a dog bark. She can hear the doorbell ring. She can hear us talking, but she doesn't know what we're saying. So she's learned to read lips and we've all learned to sign. And she has chosen to use sign language as her primary mode of communication. Um, and you know, that's, that's also really hard as a speech therapist. So I'm a speech therapist with a child that doesn't speak. So, um, and I always, you know, the, we've had lots and lots and lots of therapy. And I always say it's not from lack of therapy. She gets therapy 24 seven. Um, she, it just isn't coming together for her. So she's an excellent communicator with her 
hands. And so we go with that. She has been mainstreamed into regular school. She's in fifth grade. She gets some specialized services, obviously, for um, like reading and math. And she has a sign language interpreter with her all day long. Um, and we just make the best of it. So that that's what we do. Um, she kind of did another thing. This whole, this whole process led to a whole nother series of events is because they were so bonded. My oldest daughter has decided to, um, pursue a career in audiology. So right now she's actually working on her doctorate and wants to work with families who have children who didn't respond well to the cochlear implant so that she can use our story to inspire others. So. Um, she has said that for several years now and has never once changed her major. And that's, that's what she's going for full steam ahead. So, so their bond is really, really strong. Hey friends, just jumping in to let you guys know more about holiday gift ideas, but not from the show from you guys. So I've been polling social media for small businesses with nationally available products that are either owned by an adoptive family, meaning that the proceeds go toward adoption, or just companies that give money toward adoption in general. And I'm putting all of those into my weekly newsletter leading up to the holidays so we can spend money where we're going to be spending money already on gifts, but making sure it goes toward people like us and the amazing causes that we fight for. Last week, I featured a super cool candle company who is using the proceeds to fund their adoption and a coffee company who is using the proceeds to open a retreat center for adoptive moms. Uh, That's putting our money into the right hands for sure. To be included on this holiday gift guide, holiday gift guide, excuse me, head to theadoptivemompodcast.com slash community to sign up for Alex Mail now. Okay, back to Camille. As a speech language pathologist, I wanted to ask you about that stuff. So, I mean, you said she gets therapy 24-7, which is, uh, you know, that, that that I hear that so much from my therapy friends, just that they're like, we have to intentionally not, you know, look at our children through an occupational therapy, therapist lens or whatever else. But, you know, you're, you're no stranger to kids from hard places just based on what you do. Um, how did that influence your decision to adopt in the first place, but specifically to adopt a child who was deaf? Did you think it would be easier or did you, do you think that that influenced the grace you gave or do you think it impacted at all? I think it had a huge impact. Um, I, I th- honestly think it was the primary motivation for choosing um, Lori as a sponsor child because of the deafness I thought it was going to be way easier, a Mm. thousand times easier. I thought we would lick this communication thing within the first few months. Um, I've just really had to pull back and become mom and not be therapist. So I really shouldn't say she gets therapy 24-7 because at this point in the game, that's not true because I made a very conscious decision at one point to just be mom. And I, I actually told some of her therapists, I cannot also be her therapist. I have to be her mom. Our life cannot revolve around her therapy. There are five other kids in the home. And if we treat her like she's the queen, they're going to resent that. And so we did probably when she was around four or five, we pulled back from some things at that point. We had been, um, 
up to our eyeballs and all of this for about three years. And we could see and the professionals were starting to recognize that some things weren't falling into place the way they had hoped um, due to just some internal things with her auditory nerve. And so at that point, I purposely started pulling back the reins a little bit and and said, I, I'm just going to be mom. We're not going to work constantly at home. We're not going to rearrange our entire life to um, go to all the therapies. We will do what absolutely needs to be done, and we'll happily do that. But it, it can't consume every person in this house. So I hope that doesn't sound mean. I just I recognized that it was taking over, and I didn't want it to lead to any kind of resentment. No, I think that that's really sound advice, especially from, you know, any moms listening who are coming from that type of a background, really any kind of therapeutic background, including counseling. I think that it's really sound advice to say that, you know, it's not natural, that it was a conscious decision and um, that's really wise. So I don't know. Thank you for sharing that because that's really good practical advice. Yeah. And I always tell my current families who I do therapy with, um, when I recognize that their children are receiving diagnoses and they're seeking therapy and they're running themselves ragged, going to all the different appointments. And I notice that they have other children. I, I am always quick to say, please don't let this take your, over your life. If you do the things I'm recommending five minutes a day, then that's, that's a win. Don't feel like you have to spend three or four hours every day doing therapy with your kid at home because I still want you to be a family. I want you to just have fun. I want your kid to have some time to play. I want you to have some time to just sit and watch a movie. Um, it, it doesn't have to be a, a second job. Yeah. Good, good, good stuff, Miss Camille Lancaster. So <laughs> seriously, though, are you okay with getting into some of these closing questions? Sure. Awesome. Okay. What do you wish you had known at the beginning of this journey? I mean, of course, with Lori's particular story, I wish I would have known um, the full extent of her communication and her um, ear issues. But I I really wish I would have known (laughs) that the paperwork was going to take a year. Um, You know, that's, that's a little bit hard. You especially on our end when we were, we were matched with our child basically from day one and still had to wait a year to go get her. So that was hard. And I, I don't know that anybody can ever prepare you for that. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's the waiting is man. Whew, that's some sanctifying rough times. Um, okay. What do you wish you had done differently? Um and this is only hindsight, I wish we had learned sign language more fluently before we ever went to China. Okay, that's good. But we, Which, you know, I, that's easy to say now. And a lot of people have asked me this question and they've said, did you have to learn Chinese sign language? And I said, no, because she didn't know sign language. She had not been exposed to any sign language at all. They had only spoken to her, the people at the orphanage, um, you know, and I don't know if you're, I'm sure some of your listeners know this, but the people who work day to day with your children in the orphanage are not the same people that are sending you emails and doing all the paperwork. So, you know, it's kind of like when your kids go to school, you might talk to the principal 
but they work every day with the teachers and the aides. The teachers and the aides, so to speak, in the orphanage did not know the extent of her hearing loss and so certainly weren't um, trying to sign or do anything different. They spoke to her orally just like they speak spoke to all the other children. So, um, so I say I wish I would have learned sign language more fluently, but I don't know that it would have been a true benefit to her because she didn't know it either. So uh, the way we did it, we all learned together as she was ready based on her age and, and ability level at the time. And that seems to have worked okay for us. Yeah, for sure. Um, okay. If you could sum it all up into like one, you know, what is your favorite, absolute favorite way that your tribe supported you? Um, I mentioned before that we had some good friends that had walked this road before us. So they were hugely supportive, but um, beyond that, the financial support was um, unbelievable. People were extremely receptive to this. They knew, they knew the story. They knew we weren't um, just adopting on a whim. They, they knew she had been our sponsor child. They, we were very, very open with how it all happened. So people were very eager to see her um, join our family and, and come home. And so they, they knew financially that it was going to take, you know, honestly, almost $30,000 with all the travel and the expenses involved in, in international adoption. And so they were very, very giving. Yeah. And that's a good one. I think that sometimes just those really practical, um, I don't know, real, real practical help can be, man, just so tangible and great and, and meaningful in your story. And that's awesome. Uh, on the flip side of that, I always ask what, what was your least favorite way that you felt, you know, quote, supported or misunderstood by your community? We get a lot of really weird questions. So obviously she is Chinese and we are Caucasian. And I do have people ask me if I'm going to tell her she's adopted, which <laughs> I I usually say, well, I think it'd be weirder if I tried to pass it off that she's not. So, um, so we just get a lot of weird questions. We get a lot of weird questions about the the lack of speech and how do we deal with that and and I, I do think people mean well. They, I've learned that they just really don't know how to react to um, deafness in our culture. We, we get a lot of um, people who give us like sad puppy dog eyes and, and say, oh, did you know? And I go, yeah, we, we knew. We knew from the very beginning. So this was all part of the plan. Um, and they don't, they don't really know how to react to that. So we, we try to be very gracious and, and nice, but, um, not feed too far into all those questions. Yeah, man. And, th- and those questions are really hard because you want to protect your child's privacy, but you're also trying to be an adoption advocate. So walking that line can be really, really tough. Absolutely. Uh, um, yes. Yeah. And so if you could sum it all up and do one piece of advice or encouragement for adoptive families, what would you say? Um, I would say to to really reach out and find some people that have done this before you. They have invaluable information, not just about the adoption process, but also the travel in country. Uh, we we had people, like I said, who had actually been in China before, and so they were able to give us a little bit of information about what to expect there and things to take with us, how to handle the differences in food 
how to handle the, the differences in being able to plug in your hair dryer. Um, the really, really, like you said, tangible things about being in a foreign country for two weeks. And I, I don't want anybody who's walking into this to think that it was a vacation because it certainly, certainly wasn't. Um, it, it was scary. It was debilitating at times because we don't speak Chinese and and you're in a country where you don't speak the language and you don't naturally have a taste for some of the food. You can't find clean water to drink. Um, I remember we were in one hotel. It was horrendously hot. Um, we were on the 23rd floor and we asked the front desk how in the world to turn the heat down. And they said, just open the window. And so we had a two-year-old with an open window on the 23rd floor. That doesn't really work out so well. So um, just so many little things like that. If you can talk to anybody who's been in the country that you're going to get all of the information. Yeah. Oh, man. I can't even imagine. Uh, I'm kind of a diva about hotels anyway. So whew, that would be really, really tough. It was hard. It was hard. We still laugh slash cry about some of those experiences. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Okay. So where can we find you? You know, you mentioned your author and a blogger. Where can we Where can we find you online? So I made it real easy when I started my blog. Um, and I'll go back. Originally, I started the blog when we started the adoption process because so many people wanted to hear the story. So that's back when blogging was really fun and easy. Um, as her story, we blogged for a couple of years about all the different surgeries and all the things that happened. And then once it got to the really hard places after the surgeries weren't successful and everything we were doing took a different turn, it became too hard to share some of the things. Yeah. Um, so I stopped blogging. And then I thought, okay, so life is kind of balanced out. We've found our new normal. She's in a good place. We've figured out how to make all this work. I'll start blogging again. And so I went back to it and the blogosphere had left me in the dust. Um, I had to relearn all over again how to blog. <laughs> so um, it, my blog is CamilleLancaster.com. Uh, so that's easy. And I try to keep everybody up to date with things that are going on through there and blog about all the kids and our happenings. And then um, my husband Jay and I had always wanted to talk a little bit more about our story. So we had wanted to write a book um, and just never could quite get together on that. His writing style, my writing style are real different. And we foresaw that it would create more friction than we wanted to deal with. So one day he said, let's do a podcast. And I said, okay, let's do it. So we have a new podcast called The Mixtape Marriage with Jay and Camille. And you can find it on Apple iTunes. Okay, The Mixtape Marriage. That is a really creative uh, name. Yeah, we've only got two episodes loaded up. So we're, we're learning as we go. You know from doing this, uh, your listeners may listen to a 30-minute um, conversation, but it took you three or four hours to get that ready to load up. So oh, for it, sure. Yeah. And <laughs> so, by the time this airs, you will probably have more episodes, which is awesome. Yes, for sure. So fun. And then um, I'll link to all of your socials on um, in the show notes as well. But 
Camille, I'm just so excited that you shared your story. Like I said, this is a first for the podcast. So I'm really honored to have you on. I am so thankful that you let me share. I, I do um, see the unique qualities in the way we did things. And I, I want to let all your people know, if anybody is considering adopting um, a deaf child, I am an open book and I am more than happy to answer all of your questions. I've done that multiple times for other families. Please, please, please reach out to me. Don't do this by yourself. Um, and I will I will tell you all the all the tricks of the trade from both a therapist and a mom. Yes. And also a sponsor child, which is that, I mean, that's the, that's so neat that I think a lot of people that do sponsorships, you know, I mean, we sponsor a child and he is not, he is not an orphan, so it's different. But, you know, I think a lot of people don't realize that that's an option when you sponsor. It, it certainly is. Yes, for sure. Yeah. So cool. Well, thanks, Camille. Thank you. This was great. Thanks for doing this and, and really raising awareness of the whole adoption community. Thank you so much for listening to the Adoptive Mom Podcast. I hope you found encouragement here. I need you to know that you are enough and you're doing a great job. We are all in this together and I am over here cheering you on. Don't forget to check out show notes for this episode and other resources at theadoptivemompodcast.com. Thanks for joining us.